Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Mormon Matters Podcast, your thoughtful yet provocative weekly romp through all things Mormon, including current events, popular culture, politics, and maybe even a tiny sliver bit of spirituality thrown in. My name is John DeLynn. I'm your host, and we're very excited today to have a few special guests with us. But first, I'd like to introduce Ann Porter. Ann Porter, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, John. Thanks. Good to be back. Yes. Ann is a software developer and a married mother of three. She's also one of my favorite people on the blogger knuckle. She's a convert of over... John. Oh, I did it again. Oh, my goodness. Five minutes in. Oh, I didn't even last two minutes. Anyway, Ann is... Oh, brother. And uh, Ann is a convert of over 20 years who has an ambivalent relationship with church history. She writes for the Mormon-themed blog, The Cultural Hall, and is also guest blogging at various stages of Mormondom. Ann, I'll try again next week. How's that? That's fine, John. <laughs> All right. Uh, we also have two very uh, special new panelists with us today. Uh, our first uh, new panelist is David King Landreth, otherwise known as DKL, on a place where lots of LDS people tend to uh, communicate through blogs. How's that, Ann? That's good, John. Is that better? David, uh, welcome to Mormon Matters. Thanks. It's great to be here. So, David, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Um, I live with my wife and four daughters in Boston. Uh, we're both uh, active members of the church. I blog at Mormon Mentality, and I'm the guy that runs LDS Select. All right. Well, uh, DKL, David, thank you for coming on Mormon Matters. Um, our final panelist for today is a man by the name of John Crawford, of whom I know very little. So, John Crawford, please tell us a bit about yourself. Hi, my name is John Crawford. I am a graduate student at Johns Hopkins University in Hebrew Bible and uh, Ancient History. I uh, also uh, participate in several Mormon-themed blogs, uh, including Faith Promoting Rumor, By Common Consent, Various Stages of Mormonism, and I am one of the members of that secret cabal, the Mormon Archipelago. So you've been one of the ones who've been participating on those votes that happen every once in a while to decide whether I get to continue being part of LDSblogs.org. You've got to tell me how you voted on me, John. Come on, be honest. Uh, I'm, I always vote for you, John. <laughs> I, I, I think that what you do is good stuff. Oh, my goodness. That was not planned, audience, but, but I'll pay later, John. Anyway, John Crawford, uh, thanks for coming. It's good to have you. Thanks for having me. Anne says she's really glad you're here. So if Anne likes you, I'm excited. Yeah. All right. Well, today we have several fun topics. Uh, we'd just like to thank you all for tuning in, of course. We're getting over 1,000 uh, listeners per episode now, which is very exciting. So that's a pretty good growth for a brand-new podcast. Uh, um, but today we have several topics, and we thought we'd kick it off with who else than the Pope. Apparently the Pope... The leader of the uh, Roman Catholic Church has made or issued an important statement or two over the past couple of weeks, and John Crawford is going to uh, tell us all about it. John. Well, uh, the, the statement in particular uh, was made about a, a week ago uh, when this is being recorded. Um, it's, a, well, it's a statement 
wherein he he discusses the the uh, I, I forget the exact title of it, but I believe it's a a statement regarding the status of doctrine in the church. And in particular, what he does is he goes through and makes an argument that the Catholic Church is the one true church. And uh, to me, I mean, obvious, this is obvious because I think that any person who's a vocal adherent of a given faith must believe that they belong to the one true church. Uh, I suppose the Unitarians might be an exception to that, but aside from them, the uh, anyone who's a vocal adherent or, or a leader obviously believes that they've got it figured out. But at the same time, uh, generally speaking, it is the Mormons who you hear using that kind of terminology. I, I can't think of a time when the Pope, although I'm sure the Popes have always believed it, have, have stated, frankly, that they are the only true and full Church of Christ out there. Now, he, he does go on to say, in, in almost a, a Mormon-esque manner, that other denominations, he calls them, he divides them into churches and communities, that uh, they, they all have a role to play, that they all lead people to Christ, but that the fullness of the gospel, and in particular the, the full right to uh, perform uh, the various sacraments, and uh, in particular the, uh, he mentions the mystery of the Eucharist, to uh, accurately, uh, to appropriately, ritually, accurately perform that, that those rights are only held by the Catholic Church, and that the Catholic Church is the only true uh, Church of Christ, whereas these other churches and communities uh, uh, only lead people sort of to Christ so that they may someday embrace the truth by becoming Catholic. Um, and in particular, this has upset, uh, obviously, several groups, but in particular upset the Protestants, because in the statement, Protestant denominations aren't, aren't even uh, given the accepted as being churches. Uh, while, for instance, Eastern churches, Eastern Orthodox churches, and other groups with whom, uh, you know, the Romans are somewhat in dispute, they are at least uh, called churches in the statement, in part because uh, the Roman Church acknowledges that they have the same sort of historical foundation that the Roman Catholic Church does. However, the Protestant groups are only referred to as communities in the statement. Uh, and, 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 and really, once again, it's a statement that says they do lead people to Christ, but they, he is insistent that they only have part of the truth. And, and for me as a Mormon, once again, uh, in this sort of age of, of widespread Christian ecumenic, ecumenicalism, I'm just uh, always surprised when I see other faiths actually making those statements, although I, I, you know, I believe other adherents do believe they are members of the One True Church. It's still always somewhat surprising when you actually hear it. Yes. So that's uh, my introduction. And um, what, what's your reaction to the Pope's statement? Well, it, it uh, I, I read a number, uh, a couple of commentaries on the Pope's statement. I haven't read his statement him, myself. Uh, I have, however, read a couple of commentaries on it by um, Michael is Otterson, mm -hmm. who's, uh, is, uh, who blogs at the Washington Post slash Newsweek blog. Oh, so the church, uh, the church PR rep guy responded, gave a response to the Pope's comment? Yes, yes he did. What did he say? His, <laughs> well, he said that he usually doesn't 
argue with people about their religious beliefs, even when he disagrees with them because he doesn't think that it's uh, a, a usually a fruitful endeavor, but right. it makes perfect sense that there would be that other churches would have specific doctrinal theological claims that Latter-day Saints do not accept and that other you know other churches in the Protestant tradition for example do not accept and that that makes perfect sense that there are doctrinal disputes and that that is one of the limits of ecumenicalism right it's, that's that's one of the limits of it. The the purpose, and he just is it ecumenicalism or ecumenism, John? I, I have no idea. Other, I John. think we're all going to be struggling with that word. John Crawford. How about Which just out to the world of people? I don't know. How about playing oh, okay. playing nice? How about playing ecumenicalism. nicely? <laughs> okay, <laughs> ecumenism. That the 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 goal of that is to work together toward common goals of service and charity and ministering to the needy and working to meet our common objectives. But when it comes down to theology, there are going to be some limits. Uh, and I thought that that was, that was very interesting commentary. Also, Kathleen Flake wrote about it. Uh, Kathleen, she? Flake she? Is, Kathleen Flake is a professor, professor of American Religious Studies at Vanderbilt University. And she wrote on the same blog. Um, it's a it's a faith issues blog, and she wrote there also from the perspective of what this means for Catholicism and what this does to the the changes that were instituted with Vatican II. Uh, the uh, because oh okay. And I guess that this is another issue that came up, John. I don't didn't hear you touching on this. Is that one of the things that the Pope has also done? He is he has given permission for priests to say mass in Latin again. Yes. And yes. that that was what Kathleen Flake was commenting on was the um, was that this seems to be a pendulum swinging the other way away from local control and back to Roman control, but that in the end, it's always fine to just hang out and wait, wait the pendulum out because it's going to go back the other way. And there is also the practical matter on the ground of finding qualified clergy to say Mass, let alone say Mass in Latin. So, so that's interesting. Uh, so if we, if we think about the concepts of Armand Moss, the Mormon, the LDS author who wrote the book The Angel and the Beehive, one of the concepts we've talked about Oh, in other places, is this notion of uh, assimilation and retrenchment. And it sounds like Vatican II was a step towards assimilation, where maybe the Catholic Church tries to uh, become a little bit more like everybody else and a little bit more accepting. Does this represent, Anne, in your mind, uh, a bit of retrenchment on the part of the current Pope? Well, that's the, that's the, uh, that's the perception that Kathleen Flake gave in her, uh, in, in her essay on it, which I... I wish I had the URL. I'm sorry. I, no, I read okay. it. No, it's very, okay. I was very interested in what she had to say. It was very insightful. But the, uh, the other aspect of it that I thought was very interesting was her, her appreciation for the Mass. She said, it isn't 
it isn't something that she appreciates as worship, but as art. And she does understand to an extent Benedict's desire to remove language from the connection. Hmm. Uh, you remove language from the service when you say it in a language that everyone can't, un- that people can't understand. Nobody speaks Latin anymore. Um, it, it, when my mother was growing up, I, I was, my parents are both Catholic, and I was actually baptized Catholic. And both of my parents have long, long, you know, 12 years of Catholic primary school education. And that was a required foreign language, was Latin, um, because that's how they said mass. So you had to learn Latin right. when you went to Catholic school. That's not the case, obviously, anymore. Um, Does that mean Catholics cleaned up on the SAT? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hadn't, hadn't given that any thought. Uh, just curious. You know, uh, the thing that interested me most about it is the, the parallels in rhetoric to uh, LDS rhetoric. I mean, certainly the, all the discussion of the the status as the one true church, and yet also allowing uh, other religions, allowing that other religions have a portion of the truth that they do still lead people to Christ. Obviously, that's that's a way that the Mormons talk about uh, their uh, religion, and and also uh, there, are, I don't know how to put it, but for instance, in 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 uh, this uh, position piece that that. Uh, Pope Benedict put out, he, he makes a statement that, you know, what he's saying here is not is not something that had been changed by Vatican II. That it's always been the same, and and, and that it, it's always been the same doctrine, and, and that although people may have perceived it as having changed in Vatican II, in fact, it has been this way all along, which is, once again, a, a kind of rhetorical tool that we see a lot in, 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 the, in the Church. There's this idea that, you know, you, you may have misunderstood it, how it works in the past, but this is how it really has been has always the been, way it is now. Been. Well, I, I, right, get, yeah, I was struck by that, too, the, the way that he tried to cloak change um, and pose continuity uh, and explain that away by saying we're just clarifying things, because so, that's something that we do in our church an awful lot. So are you saying, DKL, are you saying, David, are you saying that at some point, the Catholic Church actually said we're not really the one and only true church, and now they're going back on it? Was there any language about that in there or in the reports? No, he was saying that Vatican II wasn't a change, but a rather a clarification of previous positions, and yeah. that, uh, which I think is obviously um, incorrect to the dispassionate observer, but you know, it's the same kind of thing with Mormonism, where we try to explain the evolution of our doctrine in terms of, you know, we understand it this way now, and that's just a clarification. And in a sense, where Christians accuse us of using the same language to describe different concepts, we do that to ourselves. We use the same language that Mormons did a hundred years ago to describe completely different concepts. Well, what I'm not hearing from any of you, and DKL, this, David, this is an attempt to sort of lob you a softball that you can hit out of the park, but what I'm not hearing from any of you are just basic, first of all, rage. How can they claim to be the one true church when it's obvious that we are? But but another thing I'm not hearing is frustration about just this simple notion of claiming one trueness. Nobody's saying how silly they think it is that a church should claim one and only true status um, and that we should just go about loving each other and sort of ignoring that. So, David, what do you think about the notion that that religions just shouldn't get into the business of claiming one trueness. 
Well, all, every religion is unique. Um, there's no such thing as a generic religion, and there's no generic Christianity. And I think that all religions have something that make them unique, and if we don't celebrate that, we cease to celebrate religions as such. So if the Catholic Church came out with something that said, and to some extent, we're not the only true church, I'd say, come on, you're the Catholics, you've got to be. Right. You know? right. And from my point of view, I feel that way about Mormonism. And it doesn't bother me. Um, you know, I mean, I have my political party, other people have their political parties, we agree to disagree, and we... Um, get along. That so, I don't. I think it's uh, kind of silly to feel rage about that. Of course, they feel that way, and it's fine for them to state that. Um, I think it's fine for Mormons to state that, and kind of silly for people to take offense at it. So I'll throw this out to anyone: Is there any damage among the membership in people believing in their hearts that they really are the one and true chosen sort of church? Does anybody see any damage or harm or downside? to that prevalent belief? Anyone? Well, it, you know, it, it just depends on what you take that to mean. Uh, I mean, the, the biblical example, obviously, is Israel. And when Israel takes that to mean that as the chosen group, they are to serve God and they are to, you know, in, in the Deuteronomistic uh, covenant, if, if they take that to mean that they're to serve God, that they're to, you know, bring bring each other and... and and bring, offer sacrifice to God and do His will, and not uh, bow to the will of the surrounding nations or bow to the will of the world itself, then they're blessed. But if they take that to mean that they can do whatever they want, and since God has chosen them, He will protect them, and He will watch over them, and, and, and it is independent of their actions, their, their chosen status, um, then that's what's going to get you into trouble. I mean, that's the, the classic, uh, uh, you know, Ezra Taft Benson pride kind of situation. Not, not that he was prideful, but the beware of pride talk. This, this notion that, you know, because you're the one true church, that means that everything, you know, uh, 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 everything you touch turns to gold just because of that, and that you, you personally don't have to do any work, and you personally don't have to serve, and you personally you know, are, are what makes it happen as opposed to uh, God. Right. But do, doesn't, doesn't claims of one trueness invite or accelerate uh, beliefs of uh, superiority over other, other faith traditions? Isn't it almost, I, I guess, just an unfortunate side effect of the necessity or the sincere belief in one trueness that, that you really do have a bunch of members sitting around on Sunday saying, Man, I'm glad we're better than than those other people. I'm glad we're not lost like them. We hear testimonies all the time uh, in church where people say, "Man, I'm just so glad I've got the truth and they don't," and I'm just so glad that we know the way. And and man, I'm glad I'm not them. Is that just sort of an unfortunate downside, or do we think all in all, it's not a downside? What do you think, Ann? Well, I'm just sitting here thinking that that very that very. Uh, attitude that you're talking about is is depicted in the book of mormon rather negatively with the the the, the ramiumpton yeah. incident yes it's uh and it is kind of it is unfortunate when you find yourself sitting in a meeting and thinking well look we've got our own little ramiumpton right up here in the front of the room but it's a, yeah that's that's the way people are you know and they People, people like to feel special. They like to feel important. It's, it, they like to feel blessed. And uh, I, if it wasn't that, it would be something else. 
if it wasn't only trueness, it would just, it would be something else. So, and I, as far as the rage about the Catholics saying that their, their, their path is the, is, is the only, the only full gospel path back to Jesus, that doesn't surprise me at all and doesn't bother me at all. Sure. I, I, I can't even work up even a little bit of even a little bit of irritation about it. Sure. Well, David, I'll give you the penultimate word because I have a couple of things to say as I transition. But go ahead, David. Um, <clears throat> well, I was, I was going to comment on. Um, I don't think that it's the inevitable consequence of thinking that you have the truth uh, leads you to believe that you're superior to others. Because the flip side of the, um, I believe, it's the Ammonites who are the ones who practice the Ramiumton uh, type prayer, but. The flip side of that is Alma's missionary work, who's anxious that other people share in what he has and is anxious to spread it. And I think that's the way that we should uh, approach our religion. And the real danger doesn't so much come from the moral superiority, but the, the notion that this truth that we have somehow makes us arbiters of truth in the larger world. And I think historically that's where religions have gotten into trouble and done very destructive things. Um, is as trying to uh, arbitrate truth outside of the sphere of their religion. That's a fair point. Uh, the only thing I'll just add in closing is, uh, first of all, last year when I was traveling with my job with a bunch of folks who uh, were Catholic, I asked them specifically, if I go to your priest and say, is the, is the Catholic Church the one and only true church, what would they say? And every Catholic that I talked to said that their priest would not claim that the Catholic church was the one and only true church and and they held the same position so i do think that that um there is a bit of a disparity between maybe the church leadership and and sort of the 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 clergy uh on the ground and and sort of the membership um so it'll be see you know it'll be interesting to see how that continues but the only other thing i'll say is that you know when i'm watching a college football game and you know there could be a team that's ranked 16th or 20th and when they, you know, some guy scores an interception, you know, grabs an interception or recovers a fumble, you know, when he stands up and then jumps in front of the camera and shouts, we're number one, we're number one, you know, I, I sometimes wish they wouldn't do that. And it almost seems like the, the the classiest, best teams who really are in contention for number one don't f- always feel the need like, like they have to say it. Although I will acknowledge that a church's vitality does depend in many ways on on claims of truthfulness and even exclusive truthfulness. So I guess I see this as a paradox that sort of will be around with us as long as religion is. So with that, uh, thank you, John Crawford, for a a wonderful discussion and for the rest of you on the Pope's comments. Let's move to our next topic, uh, which is Mitt Romney. Uh, He's in the news again, and I'm going to go ahead and set this one up. Uh, Apparently, uh, Barack Obama last week was giving some type of speech. I believe it was to the Planned Parenthood group. Um, I could be wrong on that. But basically, throughout the speech, he ended up saying that he was in favor of sex education and that he was in favor of sex education um, even down to the level of kindergarten. Uh, but it was clear that what he what he meant by that was that, you know, f- you know kindergartners, you know, five-year-olds, six-year-olds should be educated at a minimum about what's appropriate and inappropriate touching so that, uh, you know, they could protect themselves from abuse. Well, apparently Mitt Romney seized on that immediately. Uh, The Mitt Romney campaign 
put a, a video of video clip of Barack Obama up on the internet, up on YouTube, and then Mitt Romney gave a presentation later, basically saying, you know, I was listening to Barack Obama the other day, and guess what he said? He said that we should be teaching sex to our kindergartners. And then he went on to say, you know, when I was governor of Massachusetts, um, I never had a parent come up to me and say, we need to talk more about sex to our kindergartners. And in a way, you know, my feeling was that, that he was doing what politicians typically do, uh, which is to sort of uh, take their opponent's words out of context and, and you know, in, in any way they can, try and throw some red meat to their base to try and uh, win favor in the primaries. And, and, you know, if you look at Mitt Romney as just another political candidate, then you just say it's par for the course. But, you know, sometimes I feel like it's a little bit unfortunate uh, that it's the Mormon who's basically, you know, communicating, you know, as a Mormon, it's sad for me to know that he's communicating that, you know, we Mormons are, are pretty much, you know, just like everybody else in terms of sleaze or sliminess. So I've shown my biases on this one. I'm disappointed that Romney, you know, again, took that route. I'm also disappointed that when he was uh, governor of Massachusetts, he he filled out the Planned Parenthood form and sort of got an A-plus rating from Planned Parenthood in terms of his, you know, views on all those things. And now he's changed all those. So anyway, uh, David, why don't you uh, go ahead and start first and give us your thoughts on, uh, you know, my uh, commentary. Well, I watched the video, and the first thing I wanted to say was I thought that Obama did a terrific Alan Keyes impression. <laughs> um, I'd recommend it to anyone that wanted to watch it for that. I love Alan Keyes. <laughs> um, but uh, I think it's a mistake to view Romney as anything else besides a politician. I mean, H.R. Haldeman was an Eagle Scout and a Christian scientist, and Richard Nixon was a Quaker. And, you know, I think it would, was a mistake if any Christian scientists or Quakers at the time thought that, that their uh, representatives in the executive branch. Tell us who Halderman somehow, was. Halderman, uh, who was Halderman? Was he super squeaky clean by virtue of their religious association? I think Halderman actually that was his nickname was Squeaky Clean for a while. Well, who was um, Halderman? H.R. Halderman. Um, he was one of the aides of Richard Nixon who okay. assisted in the Watergate, Watergate cover-up and okay. spent time in jail as a result of the illegal activities he engaged in. As a result, okay. Um, but it's um. I, mean, I, I saw the video of Obama and then watched Romney, and I actually didn't make as much of it as you did. I don't think he's doing as much underhanded here um, as you do. I mean, if you look at Obama, um, you know, I mean, a lot of the stuff that he says to qualify what he means when he says kindergartens, kindergartners getting sex education, sex education, he says, you know, th the, give them the best possible chance to learn about this stuff. Uh, uh, you're talking about age appropriate and what's best for our children, and these are all kind of nonsense politician phrases like the working man deserves a fair shake. And it's really <laughs> easy to say everyone wants what's best for the children, right. and these are kind of meaningless until you begin actually uh, fleshing out uh, exactly what's at stake. And you know, he, he does mention as governor, um, nobody when. And people probably did talk to him about sex education and how it works. It's a topic that is continually being discussed by communities. Um, and, you know, his point was kindergartners were never part of that conversation. And if you look at the audience that Obama's talking to, which is Planned Parenthood, and, um, you know, they're kind of associated with the Democratic Party the same way the NRA is with the Republican Party, um, my guess is that the Planned Parenthood agenda is out of line with what mainstream Americans uh, view sex education and, and the purpose that it serves. Um, 
and that Romney isn't out of out of line to point that out. Sure, sure, that's fair. John Crawford, any thoughts? Well, I, you know, I I guess there's this. Uh, it's not to me. It all it all comes down to sort of this disconnect that we have with. You know, here I, I've, I live in Utah at the moment, and uh, a lot of people—I don't. I, how do I put this? A lot of people think that things that happen in other places should not happen here. There, there should not be strip clubs. There should not be fraud or, or uh, all of these things. And and it's as if they believe that uh, because we're all members of the church here, then we really are morally superior and and we really wouldn't take advantage of our neighbor and we and we really wouldn't uh do these commit these crimes or do these things not not that what i think you know romney did was criminal but but we we have this sort of strange idea as to how mormons behave when you know ultimately we are just people and and so when we see mormons behaving like like people do, you know, doing things that that people do. It's, you know, I, I don't know. We we seem to have this notion that, you know, whereas it would be bad if, say, Giuliani did that or or one of the other candidates. It's somehow doubly bad if if Romney does it. And 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 really, this is not a, a view that I, you know, in in my various days of internet cruising uh, that I found only amongst the Mormons. If if reporters are ever looking to show just how bad a trend has gotten, they often will point out that it's happening in Salt Lake City or that it's happening in Utah. <laughs> um, you know, in, in some ways, we've, uh, we've you know, the, the, the idea of the sort of na- naive, conservative, you know, happy Mormon has become this trope, and, and they use this as kind of a, uh, a moral compass. For, for the nation, and, I, and they don't do it that often, but they do it often enough that I notice it. And and so, you know, now obviously p- political candidates are always going to be underhanded, and they're always going to point out how the other guy is underhanded while they are lily clean. And so I, I guess, you know, just noting that, you know, where I learned about the story was on a a, a, a conservative network, which struck me as odd, but... Uh, nonetheless, this—I uh, don't know—this this kind of weird notion that that we have, and I think to some degree other other groups who are familiar with Mormons have that we ought to somehow just inherently, by by reason of our membership, be better people than everybody else. Um, it it, it kind of goes back to the notion of being chosen that we were talking about earlier, and and although I, I you know I guess I I do think in general if everybody did keep the precepts of the gospel, then perhaps we would be better, but, you know, I I guess I just, I think it's unrealistic to expect every individual to be, uh, you know, the the Boy Scout, the, the, the sterling example of humanity when, you know, demographics would seem to indicate that we follow the same trends. Right. Well, Anne, give well, us... Well, I a, happen... Oh, go, go ahead, ahead, David, and then we, go ahead, David. As you're going to say, I happen to know a guy who, um, coming out of BYU Law School, called Romney, this is before he even ran for Senate against Kennedy, and asking him about job connections in Boston. And, and Romney replied rather harshly, look, there's 11 million Mormons. That's how many there were at the time. There's 11 million Mormons, and I can't vouch for every one of them. And I think it's fair to say that about Romney. Hmm. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Anne, uh, since you care so passionately and deeply about all things Mitt Romney, I thought we'd let you have the final word. <sighs> oh, is it my turn now? <laughs> no, no. You guys, you you guys brought up some very interesting points. I I I, I enjoyed your your insights. I I, I have to say that I my my expectations of politicians are very low i mitt romney has a base he is it, he is saying what he feels will appeal to that base i don't know enough about this issue to know whether he is twisting what uh what senator obama said or not he saw an opening and he took it it's that's what they do. They see an opening and they take it. They look for a weakness and they pounce. That's how you win. Very pragmatic. Well, uh, I'll just say, um, just in closing, that my 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 head tells me that, that I shouldn't expect more, but the Mormon heart in me doesn't want to let that die. And so I still do want Mormons to be a little bit extra good and a, and a little bit more of a, of a good example. And I think in many ways we are. Um, and, and in some ways we're not always. But but I, I still sometimes want to want to try and hold Mitt to a higher standard, which is I admit is probably unfair. But And and you ought to just tell us a bit about your Mitt fatigue because I think that's uh, pretty funny and interesting. I am not terribly inclined to vote for Mitt Romney. His, his publicly stated positions are pretty much the opposite of most things that I care about. I am not a huge fan of the religious right in most instances, and I think pandering them to them, it just it just took him right off my list of people that I'm interested in voting for. So when pretty much any topic that comes up with Mitt Romney in it, it's like, yeah, right, whatever. I mean, yeah, he's a Latter-day Saint, and he's running for president, and that has some... Mormony interest for me, but it's all, and it's all so far away. You know, we're we're you know what eight nine months away from New Hampshire still. Yeah, Ugh, give it a rest. <laughs> David, David or John, are you John Crawford? Either you guys Mitt Romney fans or non Mitt Romney fans? I have uh, mixed feelings about Romney. He ends up being my first choice, and I'm embarrassed to say that because it's too stereotypically Mormon. But. Um, you're a Republican, so we should probably state that because your uh, your little logo on your Skype ID is actually a Republican elephant. Yes, yes, I'm a staunch Republican. Uh, my parents were Southern Democrats. They became Republicans uh, when um, uh, Lyndon Johnson was elected president, and so I ended up ra- being raised a Republican. That's my excuse. And so Mitt Romney's your guy, sort of by default, because there's no one better. Yeah, I had supported uh, Governor George Allen, uh, actually a senator later. Until he but, got uh, McCockett? Yeah, until he politically self-destructed. <laughs> and Fred Thompson, are you holding that for him or not so much? No, I don't see him as being a, a real player. How about you, John Crawford? Uh, well, uh, politically, I'm, I'm uh, one of the uh, much-coveted independent and undecided characters. Uh, regarding Romney himself, I... I suppose that on the Republican side, he is the one that has the most appeal for me at this moment. It's probably some sort of tie between him and the, the rapidly fading John McCain. But I'm, I'm equally 
intrigued, which is to say not very much either way, by the Democratic candidates at this point. So we'll just see how the mess flows. To hear more of this wonderful music, please check out ClaytonPixton.com. That's C-L-A-Y-T-O-N-P-I-X-T-O-N.com. Thank you very much.